Psalm 24 of David. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, let the King of glory come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Today we're going to spend some time thinking about the significance of the events when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He did this very purposefully. In fact, he had spent a few weeks before that purposefully, purposefully making his way to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen, but he didn't hold back. When he came into Jerusalem on the donkey, the crowds praised him. But a few days later, those were the same voices that were shouting, crucify him. So as we praise him today, let's examine our hearts. How are we going to praise him? Are we going to praise him with sincere hearts, without holding anything back? Let's stand and sing. Lord, our Lord, as the psalmist said, fling wide the gates and the great king will come in. As we reflect on you this Palm Sunday, we realize that the metaphor of coming in has been extended to us individually and incredibly as we have asked you to enter our hearts and lives as redeemed and saved Christians. Triumphant Lord, we rejoice in your entry in the world and into our lives. For this, Lord, we thank you. We stand in awe and wonder as we are reminded of your greatness and lordship over us. Just as you were welcomed into Jerusalem as King Jesus, King of Kings, as the Messiah, yet entering humbly on a donkey, so we praise you that we can be welcomed into your very presence one day. We are humbled in your presence, both personally and together as a church of believers. Humble and riding on a donkey. We greet you. Acclaimed by crowds and curled by children. We cheer you. Moving from the peace of the countryside to the corridors of power. We salute you, Christ our Lord. You are giving the beast of burden a new dignity. You are giving majesty a new face. You are giving those who long for redemption a new song to sing. With them, with heart and voice, we shout. Hosanna, Hosanna blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. These readings are taken from Luke 9 and Mark 10. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what, what this meant. It was hidden from them, so that they did not grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus set his face like flint, and set out for Jerusalem. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who were following were afraid. 
Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. That's the end of our reading today. It's from Zechariah 9 and Luke 19. Jesus knew that both praise and unspeakable suffering awaited him in Jerusalem. Zechariah had written, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. And about the fulfillment of this prophecy, Luke wrote, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise, Jesus, to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is a poem, Still He Walked. He could hear the crowd screaming, crucify. He could hear the hatred in their voices. These were his chosen people. He loved them. And they were going to crucify him. He was beaten, bleeding, and weakened. His heart was broken, but still he walked. He could see the crowd as he came from the palace. He knew each of the faces so well. He had created them. He knew every smile, every laugh, and every shed of tear. But now they were contorted with rage and anger. His heart broke, but still he walked. Was he scared? You and I would have been. So his humanness would have ma mandated that he was. He felt alone. His disciples had left, denied, and even betrayed him. He searched the crowd for a loving face, and he saw very few. Then he turned his eyes to the only one that mattered, and he knew that he would never be alone. He looked back at the crowd, at the people who were spitting at him, throwing rocks at him, mocking him, and he knew that because of him, they would never be alone. So for them, he walked. The sounds of the hammer striking the spikes echoed through the crowd. The sounds of his cries echoed even louder. The cheers of the crowd as his hands and feet were nailed to the cross intensified with each blow. Loudest of all was the still, small voice. Inside his heart that whispered, I am with you, 
my son. And God's heart broke. He had let his son walk. Jesus could have asked God to end his suffering, but instead he asked God to forgive. Not to forgive him, but to forgive the ones who were persecuting him. As he hung on that cross, hanging between heaven and earth, dying an unimaginable death, he looked out and saw not only the faces in the crowd, but also the face of every person yet to be, and his heart filled with love. As his body was dying, his heart was alive, alive with the limitless, unconditional love he feels for each of us. That is why he walked. Just before he died, he looked up to heaven and he cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out, Father, it is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He lowered his head into the locks of his hair and breathed his last. When I forget how much God loves me, I remember his walk. When I wonder if I can be forgiven, I remember his walk. When I need to be reminded of how to live like Christ, I think of his walk. And to show him how much I love him, I wake up each morning, turn my eyes to him, and I walk. Amen. That's it. In that he endured the cross, the joy of having us reconciled to him. So let's just spend some time thinking about that. Thank you that you were able to despise the shame. We can't understand, Lord, how we could bring you joy, but you wanted the joy of us being reconciled to you, and that's why you did it. Our hearts are overwhelmed with your love. Lord, we want to confess that there are times when we forget about you. We put you to one side in the busyness of our lives. Forgive us for that. Thank you that you continually remind us and continually pursue us so that we can have a relationship with you. We confess that there are times when we haven't loved you, but we haven't loved others as well. Please search our hearts and show us where we displease you. And then, Lord, equip us to serve you. You were the servant king. Thank you for being the servant king. And I pray that we would learn to be your servants and that we would be effective in your service. And now, Lord, as Rodney brings your word to us, we pray that you would bless him, your servant, and that he would be aware that you are with him, and that the words that he speaks to us would be your words. So, any brothers and sisters, you know, I always wondered, a, a, a preacher, he, he prepares a sermon. Now, what happens if nobody preaches up that Sunday? <laughs> Andrew, what, what, what will you do, Andrew? Probably just go home. So I am very, very glad that you're here this morning, brothers and sisters, and, and I trust that what I want to say here this morning, it will be of benefit to you. And I believe from the bottom of my heart, brothers and sisters, that this word that I want to share with you this morning is from God's heart. Believe me. Now there are many folk here that came here this morning that they came with a 
happy and glad out. Why? Because they had a wonderful week. But there are many here in our presence this morning, and this is why God laid it upon my heart, that there are many here this morning that are down in the dumps. They battled for months and for weeks. They don't know any way out. And God wants to speak to you this morning, brothers and sisters. And those that are downhearted, don't feel bad. You are in the right place this morning. God wants to speak to you. But this I want to ask you, you that are battling this morning. Expect something from God's hand this morning. Be expectant. And I'll give you an example. There was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Can you remember that story? He went into the sycamore tree. Why? Because he expected Jesus to pass by. And because he was a short man, he decided to sit in a tree. He wanted to see Jesus, the Bible says. So he was expectant and he wanted to see Jesus. And then Jesus, with the crowd, came along, looked up and saw this man in the tree. Jesus saw Zacchaeus as an individual. Forgetting the crowd, Jesus focused on Zacchaeus and saw Zacchaeus. So the first thing, Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Second thing, he, 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 he left the crowd. The third thing, he spoke to Zacchaeus. The fourth thing, he told Zacchaeus, come down, I want to come to your house today. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but his expectations that Jesus met was 100% more than what he expected. And this is what Jesus Christ can do for you, brother and sister, this morning. Your expectation you will meet a hundredfold. But let me warn you, your expectation might not be what Jesus may meet. Your expectation may be a want. Jesus meets needs. Let me explain. There was a man, a mighty man by the name of Paul, and we all loved his writings. The Bible said he had a thorn in his flesh. And he asked the Lord three times if the Lord will remove it. That's what he wanted. But God met his need. His need was this, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You see, God does not always meet your wants. God wants to meet your needs, brothers and sisters. So this morning, if you've got your Bibles, can you turn with me to the book of Mark? Chapter 4, verses 35, and we'll read as follows. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over to the other side. And when they sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the storm waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and saith unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace. Be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I can remember many years ago, my dad, who was a seaman, telling me the story of how they were on the high seas when he shipped started taking in water. There was a ship, uh, there was a hole in the bow and, 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 and it was taking in water. The ship was bobbing and, uh, uh, like a cork on the water. My father said, panic set in. What can we do to reverse the situation? He said, disbelief, can this be happening? Fear, we're going to die. 
He said mayday signals were sent, flares were dispatched into the air, lifeboats lowered, life jackets worn. The situation looked hopeless. Then in the distance, ships were seen approaching a rescue took place. This portion of scripture that we just read, the disciples encountered a huge problem. Verse 37 says, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. And he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Experienced fishermen that they were, familiar with Galilee's tides and weather patterns, they tried to weather the storm with all the knowledge and experience gained over the years. But no seamanship or local knowledge could have prepared them for the storm that threatened their lives and tested their faith. There was no mayday signals, there was no lifeboats, there was, there was nothing that we today have. The boat was going to sink and Jesus was asleep. They became, became troubled and panic set in. They were wet, freezing and exhausted. Disbelief. Can this be happening? After all, we experience fishermen. And by the way, Jesus is in the boat. They cried out in desperation. There was an urgency in their cry. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Take note of the word we. Jesus, you're going to die with us. The wind filling, the, the wind filling of water into the boat. The religious and political leaders plotting against Jesus. His future and what awaited him. Jesus never worried. Jesus was asleep. Brothers and sisters, today in this church and in our homes, the cry goes out. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Does God care for me? In my darkest hour of loneliness and depression, is God near? When I'm unemployed and there's been financial loss, why is God so silent? My health is failing me and my loved ones died from, from COVID. God, do you know what's happening to me? Our marriages and relationships are strained. God is so distant. My children have abandoned the faith. We're tired. We're exhausted. The list goes on and on and on. Does God care about me, my situation, my trouble and challenges? This word care means a watchful oversight. And the psalmist answers that. Is God a watchful oversight? He who watches over you will not slumber. This word, also, this, care, this word care also means attentive assistance. The psalmist says, he will not let your feet slip. This word also means to, to provide a needed assistance. The psalmist says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. This word care also means to be concerned. He will watch over your life. A young mother wrote that the joy had turned to bitterness and grief when she de delivered a daughter with spinal bifida, a birth defect that leaves the spinal cord exposed. In page after page of tiny spidery script, she recounted how medical bills had soaked up the family savings and how her marriage had cracked apart as her husband came to resent all the time she devoted to a sick child. As her life crumbled around her, she was beginning to doubt what she had once believed about a loving God. A young woman also wrote this with some embarrassment about her ongoing depression. She has no reason to be depressed, she said. She's healthy, earns a good salary, and has a stable family background. Yet most days when she wakes up, she cannot think of a single reason to go on living. She no longer cares about life for God. And when she prays, she wonders if anyone is listening. Does this sound familiar? The psalmist found himself in a, a similar situation. And we can identify with him when he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. 
Hide not your face from me in the day when I am in distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily. He goes on to say, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I'm overwhelmed with my problems and troubles, the psalmist says. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail with waiting, hopefully, for God. He goes on to say, how long must I lay up my cares within me and have sorrow in my heart day after day? Does God care? Can Jesus identify with my struggles and pain and God's seemingly silence and distance? Isaiah says, he, Jesus, he was despised. He was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, my soul is very sorrowful and troubled even to death. And the cry of Jesus, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It seems like Jesus can identify with my struggles, my pain, and God's seemingly silence and distance. If God cares, where do we start to see this? Now this was a cue for Andrew. Let me say this again. If God cares, where do we start to see this? When I survey the wondrous cross. Brothers and sisters, let us just focus on this cross behind us. And I, as I go through these readings now, just remember, just remember, remind yourself what Jesus did for you and for me. When I survey the wondrous cross. Man's greatest problem was that he was a sinner. You were an enemy of God. You were condemned. You were separated from a holy God. God was the only one who could take care of this sin problem. God cared and provided a savior, forgiveness and reconciliation at a tremendous price the life of his beloved son. God's care is embodied in Jesus. Because God cared for you and for me, listen to what Jesus had to endure. He was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, denied by his friend Peter. He was mocked. My Savior was spat upon. They said many evil and slanderous and insulting words against Jesus. Reviling him, they treated him with contempt and scoffed and ridiculed him and they beat our Savior. This is what God allowed his beloved son to go through because he cared for you. But there is more. The Christ cried, crucify him. They whipped our Savior. They placed the crown of thorns on his head. When he's thirsty, they gave him vinegar to drink. Nailed his hands and his feet to a cross. They pierced his side with a spear. The hymn writer writes, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? The book of Romans declares, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John says, for God so loved me and you that he gave his beloved sons. Ephesians says that we must remember. Brothers and sisters, we must remember. Remember this. That you were at that time separated from Christ. There was a time that you had no hope. 
You were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Does God care? So let us get back to our story. And so they awoke Jesus from his peaceful sleep. What was the, the response from Jesus? The Bible says when Jesus awoke, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. There was now a great calm on the sea and in the disciples' lives. The fear of we're going to die, the disbelief, can this be happening, was all gone. They have not experienced a storm like this. And equally, they have never experienced a man speaking to the wind and waves and it obeying. The master has spoken. He rebukes them in verse 39. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Don't you trust me, Jesus is telling them. Have you got no confidence in me? Do you think Jesus was justified or a bit harsh when he rebuked them? We will look at this a little bit later. Let's hear the response from the disciples. In verse 41, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this man that even the wind and see, obey him. Who is this man? The Bible in, in the book of Luke says, and a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Who is this man? The book of Acts says, salvation exists in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven, given to mankind, which we must be saved. Who is this man? The wind and the sea had to obey him because Colossians says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. This is the man who calmed the raging sea and the wind that night. I said earlier when Jesus in verse 40 says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Was he a bit harsh with the disciples? Do you think he was? After all, they went through a storm. They have never experienced in their lives. Why did Jesus rebuke them? Because they forgot about the promise of Jesus, that Jesus made. The promise Jesus made was this in verse 1. Let's go to the other side. How often do we forget God's promises? Let's listen to a few promises. The psalmist says, and let me just say this. Did you ever toss about in your bed early hours of the morning because of problems, challenges that you're facing? Did you perhaps uh, um, shed a few tears? The psalmist says that God you have kept count of my tossings. Does that not talk about caring? You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? In my darkest hours, it seems God does not see, hear, and know about our problems and struggles. Listen to the psalmist. Psalm 139 says, You know my downsitting and my uprising. God knows. You acquainted with all my ways, every one of them. You did knit me together in my mother's womb. While I was in my mother's womb, God was busy forming me because he was so loving and caring about me, about Rodney, in my mother's womb and in yours. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book, all the days of my life were written. How precious and weighty also are your thoughts to me, O oh God. God thinks about you, brothers and sisters. God thinks about you, brothers and sisters. The book of Peter says, casting 
all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on him, for he cares for you. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says, come, come to me. Brothers and sisters, the invitation is there. Every hour, every minute of the day, for everyone, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. He might not answer your prayer like you want to, but he'll give you rest. If Jesus says, come, it means he cares. The woman with the issue of blood responded to Jesus' invitation to come. The Bible says she was heavy laden, had a flow of blood for 12 years, had suffered many things from many physicians. The Bible says that she spent all that she had, was no better, but grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, Jesus Christ makes a difference. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind Jesus and touched, touched his garment. The Bible says immediately the fountain of blood dried up and she felt the body in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Does God care? This woman will say, yes, yes, yes. The promise of let's go to the other side now was fulfilled. And verse 1 said, And they came to the other side of the sea. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Listen to the condition of this man. He was possessed for a long time. Many demons had gone into him. Many times the demons would seize him. He had been driven to solitary places. He wore no clothes and lived not in a house, but continually among the tombs. He was chained hand and foot. He was kept under guard. He tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet. No one, the Bible says, was strong enough to subdue him. He would cry day and night and cut himself was with stones. Spiritual, physical, mental, and social torment was the order of the day for this man. Spiritually, he had no contact with the religious leaders of his day. He was possessed. He was an outcast. Physically, he was chained and kept under guard because of his unnatural strength. Mentally, he was suicidal, spent time in solitary places, depressed, cried day and night, cut himself with stones. Socially, he was living naked among the tombs, and he felt comfortable living among the dead, living in solitary places and no contact with loved ones. The condition of this man was one of hopelessness. Then the Bible says, but... Listen, but when from a distance he saw Jesus, he ran and fell at his feet. Let us remind ourselves who is this man. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me, says Jesus. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast at demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon us, says Jesus. But when he saw Jesus, you see, because Jesus makes a difference, the man immediately expressed submission to Jesus. The man could not help himself. Jesus did not ask the man if he wanted to be healed. Jesus initiated his healing by his one 
sided grace. Jesus did not waste any time, but immediately commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. The Bible says in chapter 5 verse 13, And the unclean spirits came out of the man and entered into a herd of pigs. And the pigs rushed over the slopes into the sea and drowned. Verse 15 says, he, was, he who was possessed for a long time was now free, free, free at last by the word of Jesus. The lion of Judah, he will break every chain. Does God care? Spiritually, this man was now, after being set free, he was now sitting at the feet of the rabbi, master, teacher called Jesus. He was now accepted, no more an outcast. Physically, there was no need for him to be chained. He was set free by the master. The demons who were many were subdued by Jesus. They, the demons, were no match to the power of Jesus. Mentally, he was now in his right mind, no suicidal tendencies. He had peace because he had an encounter with the Prince of Peace. Socially, he was no more naked. He was clothed, the Bible says, and restored, no more living among the dead. He returned home. Does the master care? The man will say, yes, yes, yes. In verse 17, the crowd then begged Jesus to leave their shore. And the man that was controlled by the demons begged Jesus that he might go with him. But Jesus refused. But said to him, go home to your own family and friends and tell them of how much the Lord has done for you and had sympathy for you and mercy for you. And he departed and began to publicly proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were astonished and marveled. In the light of what was said this morning, the question the disciples asked in a time of great need was, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And we present here this morning finding ourselves in great need. We echo the same question as the disciples. In the two stories we considered this morning, we can deduct the following. The disciples had a need or problem, the storm. The man had a need or problem, demons. You, you, you have a need or a problem. The disciples and the demon-possessed man both needed help. Their source of help was Jesus. You need help. Your source of help must be Jesus. The, 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 the source of help must be the Lord. Sorry, let me just start this again. The, you, you, your source of help must be Jesus. Hebrews says, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. When the disciples and the demons possessed man needed help, Jesus was present. When you are in need, remember Jesus is ever present. Matthew says, Behold, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. What the disciples and the demon possessed man experienced was Jesus not only present, but he was powerful. You too must experience and believe that Jesus is present and powerful. Matthew says, Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Another point we must consider, brothers and sisters, that others benefit and see much when Jesus intervenes in our needy lives. In the disciple story, Mark says, when Jesus got into the boat, there were other boats with him. If other if those other boats also experienced the furious storm of wind and waves that arose, they must also have experienced peace and calm after Jesus rebuked the wind and waves. In the demon-possessed man's case, Mark says, the people were seized with alarm and stuck with fear, and those who had seen related in full what had happened to the possessed man. Chapter 5, verse 20 says, he departed, the possessed man, he departed and began to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were astonished and marveled. The question, what are others going to benefit and see 
when Jesus intervenes in your life. I think, as I said earlier, we all have needs, challenges, and problems, some more serious and pressing as others. We go to the source of help, who is Jesus. We believe he, Jesus, is present. We believe he's powerful. We believe that others benefit and see much when Jesus intervenes in our needy lives. But I think the struggle we have is with time. God, in his loving and caring way, is just taking too long to sort out my problems. There seems to be no urgency on his part. The disciples, after they battled with the storm for a while, or maybe hours, was over in minutes after the master intervened, showing how much he cares. The demon-possessed man was possessed for a long time, Mark tells us. Was it days? Was it weeks, months, maybe years before the master intervened and showed how much he cares? I don't know and will probably never know why God in his sovereignty chooses to intervene for some in hours, others in days, and others in years, and others seemingly. But this I know, God cares. Joni Erickson, and some of you must have, might have read her books or watched the, the, her film, she had a diving accident that left her paralyzed. And to this day, it is 52 years that she's in a wheelchair. And then she got breast cancer. And then she got thyroid cancer. cancer. And at present, she is suffering with a lot of pain. Listen to what she writes. Nothing, she says, is a surprise to God. Nothing is a setback to his plans. Nothing can thwart his purposes and nothing is beyond his control. His sovereignty is absolute. Everything that happens is uniquely ordained by God. Sovereignty is a weighty thing to ascribe to the nature and character of God. Yet, if he were not sovereign, he would not be God. The Bible is clear. God is in control of everything that happens. Let me repeat that. The Bible is clear that God is in control of everything that happens. Can you remember that little chorus that we sang when we were at Sunday school? In his hands he's got the whole world. Do you remember it? In his hands he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got you and me, sister. Do you still believe it, brothers and sisters? Do you still believe that God's got the whole world in his hands? Do you believe that God got you in his hands? How often do we forget that the, while God holds us, in his hands, he knows us by our name. Rodney, Jim, John, Paul, Sue, Sally. He knows you by your name. Every hair on your head is numbered. This is a God that cares. My brothers and sisters, is the storms of life blinding us to God's promises of provision of care, healing, and deliverance. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing God's word. Read out aloud the scriptures where God came through for his children in impossible situations. Reflect on how God came through for you in the past. Don't forget God's promises. Brothers, I'm almost done. Let me just read this for you. A young lady by the name of Tracy Miles, wrote this. She says, for months I prayed the same prayers, yet they seemed to go unanswered. So each time I spoke to God, I made sure he hadn't forgotten by reminding him constantly of my needs and desires. I felt he had a right to know I was still anxiously waiting for him to act and that honestly, I was getting a little bit annoyed at his seemingly lack of swift, swift action and attention. 
As I laid my head to rest one night after yet another exhausting and discouraging day, I finally asked the question we all may be secretly tempted to ask when our circumstances don't improve and our problems keep piling up. Do you see me, Lord? Do you even hear when I, what I'm saying? Do you know what's happening? Then moments later, I drifted off to sleep. A few hours into the quiet darkness of the night, I abruptly awoke. There was no loud, creepy sounds coming from another room, no startling thunder or lightning outside that would have interrupted my sleep. Total silence, except for a persistent musical rhythm dancing through my mind, she says. I recognized the true tune, but hadn't heard it in quite some time. So it took my sleepy mind a couple of minutes to figure it out. When the lyrics of the song finally came, flowing into my mind, tears filled my eyes. The song title, He Knows, by Jeremy Kemp. The words, of the, the words go like this. He knows every hurt and every sting. He has walked the suffering. Let your burdens come undone. Lift your eyes up to the one who knows. He knows. She says, God had gently pulled me out of a deep sleep because he had something simple yet so important to tell me. He does see, hear my prayers and cares. And above all, he knows. My heart quickened at the thought of hearing from my heavenly father in such a sweet and gentle way in the midst of running the universe. God saw it fit to remind me that just because, just because I didn't know how he was at work in my situation didn't mean he didn't know exactly what was happening. As the sun began to rise, I reached for my Bible and looked for verses about God's attentiveness to our lives and came across today's key verse that reminds us even when we think God does, isn't watching, he sees us. When we think he isn't listening, he hears our prayers. The scripture tells us nothing in all creation is hidden from God's eyes. God's promises are reliable, dependable, believable, and trustable. In our hours of days, months, of facing storms, we need to answer like Peter did. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, God is God and he does care for you. And in his hands, he's got the whole world. Amen and amen.